Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely, but the tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. June 6th, 1944. There's a darkness here that leaves a deafening ring in the ear, pierced only by the collective pounding of hearts preparing for war. The lone reprieve was the occasional pen light as men scanned their maps to try to ease their hurried minds, many of them not wanting to face the stark reality that these guides would likely prove futile when the fighting commenced. Their faces, colorless and fraught with exhaustion, confusion, and crippling fear, though deep within each of their souls an unquenchable desire to live, a desire eclipsed only by the longing to ensure that the man next to them sees the sun rise on a new day. Their faces tell the story of every human emotion, from both past and present, stuffed in a roaring sea of C-47s flying in a wide formation. Time is measured differently here than it is back home. Here it is experienced in the most tangible way, coming in waves of monotony, anxiety, hunger, and much excitement. It is the ultimate scorekeeper, where the winners are rewarded with the seemingly otherworldly idea of seeing their loved ones again. To feel the ocean breeze without the searing smell of flesh to follow, or the warmth of a dinner meal without the trembling of hands and the chattering of teeth. Liberation is what brings them here, shoulder to shoulder with the rumbling of a thousand planes being the only thing closer than their bond. It's never free, but those who toil for her know the incomparable worth she brings, and these men will rise, for this has always been the hero's calling, and this is the order of the day. A few rows back from the front of the plane, Private Robert Crocker, aged 19, is wedged tightly between his comrades awaiting a tap on the shoulder and the order to jump. A lanky boy with piercing eyes and a striking crooked smile, though in this moment he sits straight-mouthed and laser-focused on the task at hand, triple-checking his harness, counting munitions, and saying a prayer of protection to the only force left that could stop all of this hell. But as history has shown, prayers aren't often answered through words alone, rather through the sheer boldness and grit of common men realizing the Lord's will through uncommon works. That is what him and a hundred thousand of the best men have been called to do on this day. Attached to the 101st Airborne Division, whose main fighting force would soon take part in the Normandy beach landings, Private Crocker was one of the four paratroopers chosen from the 907th Glider Battalion to take part in the preliminary airborne assault. These men, some 13,000 strong, were charged with the monumental task of night jumping behind enemy lines hours before the infamous beach landings. 
in the hopes of cutting off German communication lines and occupying the flanks and the German troops controlling the area. If all went well, this would give the invading friendly forces an avenue deeper into the country and divert a portion of the German military might away from the beachhead. Things started moving faster as the calls for 15 minutes and 10 minutes out seemed just seconds apart. The weight of his front-loaded pack seems much heavier than normal, he thinks. But likelier, it was just his slice of the weight of the world he was about to carry. Five minutes. Time suddenly seems much slower as he thinks of home one last time with a hopeful smirk. Just days away from his 20th birthday, it's hard not to imagine where he could be if things had shaken out differently in the world. And the irony of being too young to have a beer in his own country, yet somehow old enough to jump into a war from a perfectly good airplane, is something that never goes unnoticed. 30 seconds. There's no time left to think. Just thumping chess and the mission are all that's left. Jump. The scream from the jump master landed as a whisper under the roar of the planes as the men exited the aircraft in assembly line fashion, hitting the silk somewhere over Normandy, France, where the bravest men on earth gathered for their rendezvous with destiny. The violent rush of air was followed by immense calm as the chutes eased them to the ground in a controlled fall, though the calm would leave quicker than it came. Intense fighting began before they even reached the ground as German troops picked them off from defensive positions, while others would fall victim to flak and anti-air weaponry, dwindling their numbers before they could even face a fair fight. And for those lucky enough to survive the initial fire and iron, many would lose their lives from drowning in fields strategically flooded by the German military, unable to get loose from their strangling chutes and heavy packs. The men who did manage to survive the onslaught found themselves scattered for miles and off course from their intended drop zones, though they drove on to take the objectives that brought them there. Private Crocker was one of the unlikely survivors, and his situation was no different, landing off course alone near saint lô France. Though small, the capture of this geographically significant town was vital if the Allied forces were to ever reach Paris and change the momentum of the war. After orienting himself on the battlefield, and by the grace of God, Private Crocker did manage to find and integrate with a small group of soldiers from the 82nd and 101st Airborne Divisions. Together, these men would push northward on foot for weeks, continuing their missionary work for the Stars and Stripes to their ultimate destination, the town of Cherbourg, France. June 22, 1944. The fighting in Cherbourg was vicious as Allied forces moved to isolate German troops occupying the peninsula from any potential reinforcements. Identified early on by military planners, this heavily fortified port town, if captured, would provide a secure shipping point for the waves of incoming Allied troops and essential supplies to keep the warfighting effort alive. And this was something the Germans had prepared for, digging into defensive fighting positions in the hopes of stopping the invasion through fire superiority long before it could begin. Though this would prove unsuccessful as Allied forces broke through and began a brutal, close-quarter fight in the streets. Moving from building to building, pillbox to pillbox, under heavy fire and overtaking the enemy, eventually taking command and control of the city five days later, as an American tank knocked on the entrance of the German command center and came out with the white flags of 800 German troops and their commander, Major General Robert Sattler. When the dust settled on Cherbourg, the 7th Corps of the U.S. Army would go on to suffer 22,000 casualties taking the port, 
2,800 killed in action, 13,500 wounded, and another 5,700 missing, each of them making the ultimate sacrifice in their own way, dying with their brothers, with fear in their eyes, love in their hearts, a prayer on their tongue, and the hope of going home until their last breath. The cost to the Germans was even graver, with 39,000 captured and an undetermined number killed or wounded, and one of the first dominoes to fall in the inevitable collapse of the Third Reich. June 30th, 1944. On the outskirts of Cherbourg, the combat continued with fury, with Allied forces pushing further to take the rest of the peninsula. Private Crocker, along with six other men, were fighting from a trench, exchanging gunfire with German troops perched in buildings and makeshift fighting positions nearby. This performance had become as routine as violence ever can be. Shoot, move, communicate, and stay alive long enough to see the Germans die long before you do, so you can earn your ticket home. Though today's routine would change everything. After fighting through the morning, a German soldier in a building adjacent to their position found an instant between the seemingly endless barrage of bullets to heave a grenade. Rolling into the trench at the feet of Private Crocker, who had a pure heroic instinct, picked it up to return it to its sender. Time has a unique way of seeming to stop when we are solely focused on one task. This is why the pot never seems to boil when we stare, or why the logs in a fire only go to ash when we turn our heads away. The fuse on a grenade lasts roughly four seconds from the time its lever is released and thrown, leaving at best a second after landing to contemplate all of life's existential questions. But the throwback was stopped short as it just left his fingertips before detonating. The pain was likely unbearable to the point of losing consciousness, with only a ring in the ear to let him know that he was still alive, or at least somewhere. Under the cover of friendly fire, he was taken by a jeep to a field hospital where he would begin a new war for his life. Here, life-saving measures were taken as the doctors and medics rushed to replace the lost blood, prevent shock, and manage pain as much as possible. It took little inspection to understand the intensity of the trauma and the severity of the situation, with each passing moment tipping the scales in favor of death. However, death seems to have a hard time with men like Private Crocker, and he would soon find himself awake in the same field bed just hours later. Though his life would never be the same with the man in medical dress standing over him, explaining the extent of his injuries and the drastic measures that had to be taken. He looked down, head still dazed from the trauma and medication, with his right eye on fire with pain to find his hands were no longer there. Just two nubs wrapped in crisp white gauze, the cleanness of it all leaving him astounded. He hasn't seen much of anything unspoiled since the beginning of this wretched war, and it seems strange to him that the first clean thing would be just a mask to conceal the carnage done to his body. Yet, the gravity of the situation doesn't fully sink in. It would take weeks just to understand the urge to scratch his non-existent hand was just his mind playing tricks on him, as if to long for the misery of war, where he was at least completely himself. Word about injuries finally reached home during this time, in a casualty message telegram which read, Miss Ethel Hayes, St. Louis, Missouri. We regret to inform you that your nephew, Private Robert V. Crocker, was seriously wounded in action, 30 June in France. Signed, Wesley Z. Scheip, Second Lieutenant, Adjutant General. It would be another 16 days into July when he would arrive at the 60th General Hospital in England, 
where he would have his right eye removed due to damage caused by the shell fragments. An unbearable three weeks of having piercing metal in his eyes finally found some exoneration. This is also where his initial recovery would take place, and nearly a month later he would step back on American soil. His rehabilitation began in August 1944 at Percy Jones Hospital in Battle Creek, Michigan. Here he was fitted with a new glass eye and prosthetics for his arms, which he would quickly catch on to using, learning to eat again, write his name in cursive, and even drive a military-issued jeep, all with an air of confidence and pure joy rarely seen. This is also where his transition out of the military began, which would be finalized on March 17, 1945. His discharge papers reading, Amputation Stump, Lower Third, Right and Left Forearms, Guillotine amputation performed on 30 June 1944 at the Battalion Aid Station, 907th Glider Field Artillery, Cherbourg, France, due to enemy action when struck by fragments from a German hand grenade when he picked it up on June 30, 1944, Cherbourg, France. Incapacitate by reason of loss of both arms, rendering him unfit to perform the duties of a soldier. Disability is permanent. The paper signed in sloppy handwriting by Private Crocker himself, with the right thumbprint box next to his name reading, no thumbprint available. He was sent home with the European African Middle Eastern campaign ribbon, one bronze star for his bravery, and an entitlement to the Purple Heart among many others, marking the end of his war and the beginning of his new lease on life. Robert would go on to marry Virginia Bird, the girl of his dreams five years later, near his home in St. Louis, Missouri, laying the foundation for a beautiful family and lasting legacy. He would continue to work and contribute to his community, become a proud and strong father of beautiful children, and eventually a grandfather to a handful of captivated kids who affectionately referred to him as Grandpa Broken Eye. To me, he was Uncle Bob and my childhood hero, watching in awe as he threw washers better than anyone with hands at our family reunions or just him sitting quietly in his comforting way watching over his family and kids with an assured smile. He was always quiet, but giants like him tend to let their actions and character define them, not their words. Him and Jenny grew old and in love together until her passing just a month before their 51st wedding anniversary, a tragedy that likely eclipsed all other events in his life. Bob would go on to live at his daughter Peggy's farm, where he loved to bird watch on the porch, watch Cardinals baseball, and most importantly spend quality time with his family until he passed away on May 25, 2016, at the age of 91. A monumental loss to the world, and even more so to those closest to him. Though, a true example of a life more than well lived. Dwight D. Eisenhower gave his infamous Order of the Day speech, heard at the beginning of this episode, just before the D-Day landings on June 6, 1944, in an effort to rally the troops around the goal of the mission. What is less known is that he also drafted another letter the night before the operation, in case it resulted in failure, which read, Our landings in the Cherbourg area have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold, and I have withdrawn the troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was based upon the best information available. The troops, the air, and the navy did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to this attempt, it is mine alone. 
His firmness on accepting the responsibility of failure stands out as a true characteristic of leadership. In fact, in the draft, he boldly underlines the words, mine alone, as if to reiterate the weight of the decisions he was about to make. Being acutely aware of what was at stake, countless lives, broken families, and the fate of the free world all hung in the balance during this time in history. Though luckily, he would never have to give this speech, let alone finish the rough draft. And this is because of men like Bob Crocker, who took their lives and the little piece of war they had been given in their own hands and underlined the words, mine alone, taking on unimaginable responsibility and risk so that others wouldn't have to. Death, so fierce but swift, met many of them, each having a name, each a story, and each a life more similar than different than you and I. Bob considered himself one of the lucky ones, for he got to reap the rewards and freedoms that are sustained by men like him, while many others would never get the chance. Though they all rose to the occasion, carrying the heaviest of burdens and added weight to the balance for liberation and the end to some of the worst human suffering ever known, and it should forever be our duty to ensure that they are remembered as a person and not only a number.